Hello and welcome to FTI Cybersecurity's podcast series, The Expert Briefing. My name is Josh Birch and I'm a Senior Managing Director and Head of Cybersecurity for Europe, the Middle East, India and Africa here at FTI Consulting. Throughout this podcast series, FTI experts will discuss the latest issues and trends impacting the world of cybersecurity right now. And today's conversation is centered around insider threat. Today, I'm joined by my colleagues, Steve Morgan, Dave Best, Almira Kemmel, and Kyung Kim. Hello, I'm Steve Morgan. I'm a Managing Director and in the EMEA cybersecurity team based out of London. I am Dave Best, and I'm a Senior Director in the US cybersecurity team here at FPI, and I'm based out of Philadelphia. And my name is Elmira Kamel. I'm a Senior Managing Director. I run our Global Risk and Investigations practice in Europe and Africa, and I'm based in London. Hello, everyone. My name is Kyung Kim, a Senior Managing Director and Head of Cybersecurity for Asia Pacific Region, based out of Seoul, South Korea. So let's kick off. We're living in unprecedented times, and the cybersecurity threat is exponentially evolving. Human factors in cybersecurity continue to represent some of the most significant threats and none more so than those posed by insiders. So to get us started, I wonder if I could ask you, Steve, to define for us what we mean by insider threat. So an insider is really any person inside an organization working against it for their own gain, for their own agenda, or at the direction of an outside actor. Thanks, Steve. Why would an insider be motivated to do that? So we see four common reasons uh, for insiders. First is financial, that they see some monetary gain in the activity. Uh, The second is ideological. They might see a particular um, personal gain to their ideology for um, acting against the organization that they're working for. Third is if they are being uh, manipulated or coerced by an outside actor. And lastly, straightforward revenge. They may see that they may feel that they've been um, slighted by the company or the organization and that there's an opportunity for them to take revenge against it. So, Almira, what's your perspective on that question? And, and um, what kind of motivations have, have you seen as you've conducted investigations into the kind of motivations for why people do this? They, they largely fall under the four categories that Steve listed. But, um, but what I find is a common thread between them is this sort of lack of culture. Um, and very often the, the insider threat comes from somebody who doesn't really realize what they're doing at the time. Um, so they're not really uh, trained to recognize the, the problem, to recognize the threat. Uh, that they are posing. Um, and very often when they very much know what they're doing, they are doing it for financial gain, which again is, is something that Steve mentioned. The other three categories that Steve mentioned, uh, they often fall under that threat of, of culture. It is something that you can probably uh, train against and train people to recognize and, and act differently if they are tempted to, to act as an insider threat. Kyung, you worked uh, in government before you joined FTI, and I imagine you must have been involved in some fascinating uh, investigations. Uh, are there any perspectives that you can share on the kind of motivations and, and, and what you've seen as some of the most powerful drivers for, for people taking this step against the organizations that they're operating in? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. Yeah, working in the uh, federal government, um, we definitely saw some very interesting and high stake. Um, Inside the investigation, for example, Robert Hansen, right? He was a uh, very infamous uh, insider threat uh, within the FBI who gave very sensitive information to 
Russian intelligence officers cause many deaths, right, for um, expert trading the information. And the, uh, when he uh, was arrested, when investigation was conducted, his uh, number one uh, reason was for, for, for the money, right? And making switch to private sectors when we do investigations, when it comes to intellectual property or inside threat investigations, uh, as uh, my two colleagues mentioned, uh, two main factors are uh, money and the uh, revenge, right? They may not happy with the, uh, their supervisors, how they treated, and maybe they were uh, overlooked for uh, promotions, right? Or um, they may uh, leak the information for monetary gain. Obviously, over the last uh, few months, you know, we've all been living through the extraordinary global challenge of COVID-19. And I think talking to clients, one of the things that they reflect to us is that the experience of having a workforce uh, distributed uh, away from central offices and also some of the kind of operational pressures that they've de been dealing with that have focused organizational attention uh, in other areas, that they've ultimately seen a uh, an overall increase uh, in the priority and the challenge of, of insider threat. Um, I wonder if we could talk a little bit more about some of the trends that we've seen emerging on insider threat, you know, throughout that period. Um, perhaps I can come to you, uh, Dave, uh, to talk a little bit about uh, some of the things that uh, you feel have uh, become increasingly significant in this space. Yeah, thanks, Josh. So, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, uh, one of the trends I'm seeing is um, the increased threat to financial or workforce information. And um, obviously due to COVID-19 and the current pandemic, there's a lot of companies have financial crunch or impact to their to the financials and even to the employees. And so this enticing employees to leverage their insider um, access to financial information, to documents, to anything of that sort with COVID and an increased usage, um, something that we're seeing often. Thanks, Dave. Um, Steve, I wonder if I can uh, ask you what trends or changes you've detected uh, and your, that your clients are talking about uh, during COVID-19. So research from before COVID-19 showed around 80% of insider threat cases developed during employment rather than being uh, present beforehand. And many of the risk factors that tends to cause those, uh, those cases to develop, um, changes in people's personal lives, stress and big life changes, um, are risk factors that are exacerbated due to the enforced remote working that we've seen under COVID. Um, so in thinking about how to manage those risks, clients are wanting to include the people factor around insider risk as part of their cybersecurity thinking. Almira, can I ask you, obviously, uh, throughout uh, your career and certainly the team that you're leading in FTI uh, around fraud investigations, you must uh, see and be exposed to some extraordinary uh, examples of where individuals have, have wreaked havoc and created uh, fraud. I wonder if you can talk a little bit more uh, about some of the trends that you've seen related to fraud or any other issues that are top of your mind. Sure, thanks. Thanks, Josh. Um, there are some interesting trends that we're seeing, uh, especially bearing in mind uh, COVID-19 and, and, and the fact that we're all working from home. Um, and one of the interesting things is that we're seeing quite a lot of fraud. Um, 
and uh, uh, a lot of that fraud is uh, financially uh, uh, driven, driven by uh, greed, financial greed. Uh, but a lot of it is not new fraud. A lot of what we are identifying now is actually a pre-existing fraud that we possibly wouldn't have seen quite as yet if there hasn't been COVID-19. And uh, adding force to Dave's earlier argument, uh, you know, cash flows are are lower, perhaps the financials of the companies are not as great and some new measures are being put in place uh, and we're suddenly picking up on pre-existing fraud. Uh, and some of that quite um, quite epic dimensions, some a couple of the cases that we have worked on um, uh, in the last three months have been really global. Um, and insider threat came from the very top of the company, from the CEOs from the executive boards. These are quite unnerving circumstances for the, for the investors in those companies or their third party relationships. But perhaps something, maybe if, if I can be devil's argument, there are some positives that we're, that we're seeing because of the working environment we're in that we wouldn't have seen maybe for a year or two in some of these fraud cases. Thanks, Amira. We've touched on personal revenge, we've touched on financial fraud, uh, and we've also touched on employee information. One of the things I'm really interested though uh, is intellectual property and the extent to which insiders are involved in the acquisition or transfer of really valuable commercial secrets. And uh, I wonder, Kyung, uh, whether you might be able to comment on what you're seeing in, in that area and uh, particularly uh, with an eye to the Asian market that you're operating in, whether there's anything in particular uh, about that environment that, that you could highlight for us. Yeah, sure. Um, in Asia, uh, we recently dealt with two insider threat investigations um, touching upon the um, PII and trade secrets and the intellectual property information for being leaked out um, uh, with the COVID-19, uh, all the employees are working uh, remotely and the, uh, their IT department or their cybersecurity teams says they just don't have uh, a good method to monitor any uh, suspicious activities. Uh, there was a study done approximately, I want to say 50% of malicious actors, they leak sensitive information via uh, email or uh, hard copy, uh, they were printed and just they, they would just walk out the front door. But now it's the problem uh, exacerbated because from home, they can just print it and they can share the information uh, at their uh, will. So the problem is that they just don't have, the trend is that they just don't have good monitoring system for them to monitor any anomalies or suspicious activities. Thanks, Kyung. It seems from the conversations that uh, uh, I and other members of the team have had with clients that the, the clients report often having a good understanding of what insider threat means. They have sometimes resources to dedicate to the problem. They have big data sets that they can analyze and deploy. They've got clever algorithms. They've got clever advisors. Um, but still, despite all of that potential advantage, uh, insider threat remains an issue that, that they grapple with. So I wonder if we can talk a little bit about when it comes to mitigating the risk uh, of insider threat, what kind of advice would you give to 
business leaders and their teams uh, right now? What steps uh, can they be taking? What kind of things uh, should they be prioritizing? And I wonder, Dave, uh, whether you might be able to uh, share some of your thoughts and insights on that one. Yeah, thanks, Josh. So uh, from my perspective, there's four key things that you can do to um, recommendations to detect or react to the insider threat. Um, first being just being aware. So um, meaning knowing when something is not normal. Um, that's probably the first thing you can do. Second thing is just uh, rotating the responsibility. So being able to um, ensure that employees are not in positions where they have constant access to sensitive data um, or things that are valuable to the company. Um, third is just monitoring for indicators of compromise. So if you notice uh, employees are downloading the, and distributing amount, a large amount of files to location or if they're uh, transferring data to a USB, they are all uh, things you can place on their systems, technology placed on the system to detect this type of activity. Um, and one of the, I guess the fourth thing would be just um, additional technology. So along with, uh, you know, monitoring uh, the employees, but also you can incorporate you know, intrusion detection systems and things of that nature. So that's more of a technological side of the thing, of, uh, perspective. Um, there's also, you know, obviously a training perspective. So training the employees to know what to do, what not to do. Um, and and uh, I think those are some, some recommendations I would give to current companies. That's great, Dave. Thank you very much. Um, Steve, I wonder if I can ask your perspective on uh, uh, on the same issue, the sort of tips and advice that, that you'd highlight, the sort of priority issues that, that people should be thinking about. I think I'd call out three, three key steps in this area. Uh, the first is to ensure that you know where your, your risks are, to know and understand what, uh, what, what of your information various external threat actors might be interested in and where you might be vulnerable. Second, take steps to defend yourself. So limit access to your most sensitive information. Identify those roles within your organization that have the highest, uh, the highest risk access to information and seek extra assurance around the individuals in those roles. And uh, consider, um, consider how you monitor internally rather than just externally uh, with your cybersecurity team. And lastly, know how you'd react in the event of an insider breach. Have a clear response, decision-making, and comms plan so that if it does happen to you, you're already prepared. Amira, what would your take on that be? Thanks, Steve. Um, I think a lot of factors co uh, come into play here, but uh, vaguely two main buckets. Um, one is building a strong uh, culture of integrity, and I think there are two elements to it. Uh, one is strong ethical leadership that buys into building the culture, empowers compliance officers, chief risk officers, chief, chief security officers. And on the other hand, um, that coupled with a sort of bottom-up training, um, a, a, a continuous training of all the employees. And the other bucket would be testing the systems. So building, but also regular, regularly monitoring and testing the uh, the systems that you have in, in, in the businesses, whether that's procurement programs or your cybersecurity systems. Um, and I think that that's, that's really, in my mind, the best way of, uh, of protecting yourself. Josh, what do you think about this? What, what are your thoughts based on your experience? Well, I think um, 
one of the things that, that, that consistently comes across in, in the conversations that we have with, with clients and particularly um, uh, bigger multinational clients is, is the challenge of coherent and senior ownership of the issue. Uh, because particularly the bigger the organization, the more fragmented the challenge, be it across geographies, uh, be it across front functions, uh, be it across uh, individual uh, business areas. Uh, and so one of the critical things that we advise clients to focus on is, is, is there a single point of reference and guidance on the issue? Is it clear what the outcome is that they want to achieve? What are their risk appetites? And does that individual have the authority and the connectivity to, to bring potentially a very complex stakeholder environment uh, with them as they shape a way forward uh, on this issue. I think there's a couple of other things as well um, that I would highlight. And I think, uh, and Almir, I'd very much um, echo what you said about culture. You know, I always say that cybersecurity is one part about technology and four parts about people. And I think when we're contemplating the issue of, of insider threat, I think this really comes to the fore. The security culture that top leadership uh, in our clients and in any organization sets for, for the organization is, is one of the most important levers uh, that a senior leadership team can pull. It's going to be almost impossible to prevent uh, a motivated insider uh, with access uh, uh, to information and the means of creating damage almost impossible uh, to stop them. But what you can do is to create a security culture where others around that individual uh, potentially notice uh, or are uh, equipped uh, to, to understand uh, the, the, the dynamics that an individual is, is existing within, whether it's around pay, uh, whether it's around promotion, uh, and supporting the broader organization uh, in defending its, its security. I think the last point that I'd, I'd draw out is, is one around proportionality and ethics, uh, because the, the unfortunate reality is that the only way of avoiding uh, all cybersecurity risk, including insider threat, is to, to, to be completely non-operational. And as soon as you then introduce business and commercial activity into the mix, as soon as you introduce that all of the human factors of an employee base into the mix, you begin to increase the risk profile of your operation. Uh, and so uh, having a really clear uh, sense from the leadership of an organization of what they consider to be ethically and culturally appropriate uh, within that organization, uh, what they will accept and how they're communicating uh, to their workforce uh, about those expectations uh, is, is really uh, essential uh, uh, to, to getting this right. Because uh, if an organization sets the wrong tone around proportionality and ethics, people will simply leave and you'll have an entirely different category of, of insider threat to deal with, which could be uh, a, 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 a diminishing workforce who, who are unprepared to work in that kind of environment. So one of the areas that uh, we're often talking to clients about is resilience. Uh, the, 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 this emphasis on bouncing back from the inevitable attack rather than existing in a fantasy that the attack is somehow completely avoidable. So when it comes to resilience, uh, we often talk to clients about identifying uh, their crown jewels. Uh, I wonder, Dave, if you could share your perspectives on, on how the clients that you're working with approach the identification of, of crown jewels. Yeah, absolutely. So what I'm saying for my clients, they're using 
uh, technique or something called data classification as a main strategy to secure corporate data assets and uh, sometimes as a form of locking down crown jewels. For data classification, uh, there's usually five steps uh, as far as the process. The first part of being um, identification or identifying. So identifying their sensitive and high value data. So clients we're working with have deep knowledge around their data. Uh, second point is they discover, so knowing the locations and accessibility of the systems of data. So whether it's on a file server or database and then classifying it. So data according to its value to the organization. So making sure that if this is a financial data or if it's a personnel information, whatever the data may be, classifying it as such so that way they can assign the appropriate individuals to have access to that information. The fourth thing is just securing it, right? So employing security controls and protective measures around it. So access logs, um, role-based uh, permissions and things of that nature so that way only authorized individuals are able to access the data. And finally, uh, the fifth step would be monitoring. So this is make sure you measure and employ security practices, uh, monitor those activities. So once you have the systems in place, monitoring who has access to certain systems, uh, monitor the availability, all those type of security controls that you have in, in put in place. So to me, those are the five most effective steps I'm seeing clients who um, have uh, effectively identified their crown jewels through data classification. Great. So looking towards the future, uh, what changes and threats do you see on the horizon when it comes to the issue of insider threat? Kyung. Thank you, Josh. Great question. Uh, threat uh, towards the future. The uh, same threats going to continue uh, globally. BC scam and ransomware is not going to slow down. Why change things? Uh, it works well. Uh, our adversaries are going to stick to what they know. Uh, however, uh, threat uh, against the autonomous vehicle. Many of IT devices are connected, and the, uh, it's going to continue in hundreds of millions of devices. Um, the, uh, your phones and your tablets. Threat against your uh, sensitive information. Um, contact information, GPS, banking information, uh, as well as your safety uh, is in danger. So our adversaries, it could be insider uh, threat um, who can uh, leak the sensitive information. So um, I believe that future threat will be against the autonomous vehicle related to uh, intellectual property. Steve, uh, anything to add on to this? So I think intellectual property is the key point there. The, uh, the last 10 years have seen our, the, the world's global dynamics shift more towards competition between nation states rather than collaboration. And so intellectual property will increasingly be targeted by state actors, as we saw through most of the 20th century. Those kind of sophisticated actors will often see people, the opportunity to recruit an insider, for example, as the easier way to target uh, information and intellectual property rather than necessarily technically compromising a network. Dave, what do you think? Yeah, thanks, Steve. So one of the things that I'm seeing when I speak to my clients, um, some of the concerns around uh, cloud migration and how they are trying to come to grips with protecting their sensitive information, whether it's their company's uh, financial data, uh, personal information, intellectual property from insider threats. So that's what I'm seeing as a new going trend for this year. Uh, what do you think, Amara? Thanks, Dave. I, uh, as you know, I, I sort of don't look at insider threat as, um, as only a te technology-driven threat, but also uh, perhaps from a wider 
fraud perspective. So in my mind, um, you know, inside a threat is also your corrupt procurement officer who might um, who might compromise the confidential um, data of the company. Um, so from that perspective, I think inside a threat has always been there. But I think to your point and, and Steve's and Kyang's points about uh, us living in a more accelerated and more connected world, of course, there's more opportunity to compromise that data. Um, and so the threat will only continue. I think what is interesting is the trend of uh, regulation. So with GDPR, um, and uh, these days we see many more um, instances of um, FCPA equivalent legislation around the world that, that, that regulates bribery and corruption, oftentimes with the sort of extraterritorial element. I think that the regulators are going to drive more businesses to pay attention and work on systems that will allow them to better uh, curb that um, uh, insider threat potential. Josh, what do you think? Thanks, Almira. So I think um, I think there's something as well for me about uh, the the development of artificial intelligence, uh, which is interesting and relevant in this space, because I think that we'll see artificial intelligence capabilities uh, having the opportunity to detect uh, more and more uh, the kind of behaviours, even uh, uh, some of the most subtle behaviours uh, around. Uh, uh, the, the the perpetrators of of insider threat, um, and so I think that that on the defensive side, uh, looking forward, uh, I think that, that the capabilities that that organisations that we're speaking to will have at their at their disposal, I think, will be really interesting uh, and significantly more sophisticated still than they are today. However, I would say that I think people will remain uh, the weakest link. Uh, in this chain. And I think that motivated and sophisticated aggressors will find ways of connecting uh, to those motivated individuals inside organizations to extract the information and the insights that they need, but adjusting uh, to the, the new technology environments uh, in which we find ourselves. So I think there will be a new normal uh, in the future that uh, organizations uh, across the world uh, will be confronting. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Josh. Great. Well, that's a really good conversation. I'd like to thank my colleagues uh, for joining me today. Remember to subscribe to our podcast series so that you don't miss out on future episodes. If you'd like to find out more about what we do here at FTI Cybersecurity and how we help build a resilient future for clients, please reach out to me or any of today's guests via the FTI website. Mm-hmm.